0: Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. You know, I am not just a uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas, uh, Christmas song singer. I would sing Christmas songs all the time. You know, Andrew and I, uh, we just took a couple days out in Hershey with Cole and one of his friends. And one thing we noticed out there is that uh, restaurants are having the same trouble staffing that we are here. It's hard to believe that we couldn't find a table to sit at at Wendy's, not because they were full, because there was no one there to, to staff it. You know, businesses are you know, recover, recovering from the shutdown that we had um, obviously with COVID. And a lot of businesses struggled. And I think particularly of small businesses, small restaurant owners and little shops and stuff like that. And I found that even medical practices were suffering during the COVID shutdown. I thought medical practices really, I mean, people, especially where people were, were getting sick at, at a troubling time. But one medical practice or one particular discipline that really struggled were plastic surgeons. You know, elective plastic surgeries were down 30%. Wow, really, really struggling. But I dug in a bit more, and then I found that for plastic surgeries, 92% of plastic surgeries are done on women. That's, in numbers, that's 16 million procedures a year. Elective surgeries are done on women. And some women are still looking to alter themselves from their God-given attributes. Culture is telling women they need to conform to an image that culture has set and moves them away from the image created in their creator. You know, this is just, I'm just talking about the physical here, this this comes in behavior, this comes in moral compromise, and really this manifests as anything that moves us away from God. So today we're going to look into that. We're going to turn to God's word and see the difference between how God views women, how Jesus views women, and how culture views women. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, Father. So we pray in our time together, in our message Your Father, that the words they be spoken, that they be my voice, that they want, that they are the words that you want specifically spoken, to minister to those that are gathered here. So, Father, I pray for this time. I pray for these words. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Normally when I preach, I like to go to a section of Scripture and see what Scripture has to tell us on that particular passage and teach from it. But today I'm going to do the opposite. I have this particular topic that's really been weighing heavy on me for a long time, cultural, uh, culture's view of women. Um, so I'm going to take it from that direction and then see what God's Word has to say on it. Our first reading is going to be from Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 3. Now here is sort of what's going on here in Galatia. Galatia, The church at Galatia is the church that Paul had planted, and there were Judaizers there, and Judaizers are Jewish believers that, that held to the position that they still made it needed to maintain Jewish law, still needed to maintain the Mosaic law. So here in Galatians 3, we see Paul's response to that. So in Galatians 3, let's, let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's word. It says, uh, Galatians 3, verse 23 through 28, it says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our, ga- our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus." Thank you. You may be seated. So you may be wondering, how does this tie in with culture? Alright, so what I would like to do for this morning, just in your minds, not in your Bibles, when we look here in this passage, when Paul talks about the law, let's replace law with culture. Alright, so let's not modify our Bibles, We'll just keep that in our mind and make a mental note. And I think we need to define what culture is, because culture can be something very broad. Alright, culture, a common definition, is culture is the social behaviors and the societal norms in which we live. So it's basically, if it's the societal norms, culture is the medium by which we judge ourselves and we judge others because culture says, okay, this is what's good or this is what's appropriate. And I think this is crucial for us to understand because I see the portrayal of women in today's culture similar to what it was in Jesus' time. Now obviously we have more equality and there should be because we are created equally in God's eyes. But I see the destructiveness of culture towards women now Uh, even more insidious than what was going on in Jesus' time. So as Paul was writing, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, or captive for us, captive under culture, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And I think there's really two important words here in this particular verse, and that's captive and imprisoned. Different English translations render the word captive as either guarded, in custody, kept under under, uh, the control of, Or confined, but the ESV I think really does it justice when it uses the word captive. I mean, it gives all the words give a clear indication of how the law is separating them from God's grace. But captive almost gives a sense of attraction. I mean, just think of the word captivated, right? Are you really captivated by anything that's unappealing, right? So, so we have this word captive here, and it get me got me thinking. Did you ever see the movie Finding Nemo? Anybody see that? Adults, okay, fighting emo, especially the ones with kids and stuff like that. Now, there's a scene where Dory and Marlin are separated from the entire group. They're sort of off on their own, and they're in the deep, and it's really dark, and Dory sees this really tiny light off in the distance. She's really attracted to it, and as she swims closer, the light gets bigger, and she's more drawn in. She gets bigger, she's more drawn in, and bigger and bigger, and if you remember the scene, all of a sudden behind that giant light that drew her in were these two enormous jaws that were ready to eat her, What she was drawn in by was an anglerfish, which draws in its prey by something that is really appealing, and then all of a sudden, he's there to have his lunch, right? So culture has a way of captivating us, of drawing us in by making it really seem appealing. I mean, think about any lasting relationship you had with anybody, right? Something there drew you in, something was appealing, something captivated you, right? But then think about the relationships that didn't work out. Right? Were you captivated for a short time until they saw what they didn't want you to see under the surface? Right? There is an immediate appeal until we see what's festering down below. Culture really is no different. There's an appeal there, and I think it's so strong because it taps into one of our most basic needs, and that's acceptance. Right? God created us not to be alone. He created us to have partnerships, and in partnerships, there's acceptance. Right? But when we turn to the world for acceptance, we become imprisoned by culture. Did you ever feel boxed in by something? Right? Where you felt that maybe you had gotten involved in a situation that you couldn't escape? I mean, let's just think about the relationship we were just talking about, I mean, the relationships that didn't work out. Did you ever feel stuck in it? Like there was really no escape? It was almost suffocating? All right? And then what happens when you realize that that person wasn't just a pretty face or a captivating smile, right? We get sucked in. It's the same with culture. Culture draws us in because it looks nice. It seems appealing, but in the end, it can be really, really destructive. And this is especially true for women. Just think about a Barbie doll, right, a Barbie doll. If you were to take a Barbie doll and expand her to her adult dimensions, she'd be five foot nine with an 18 inch waist. Right? I mean, what sort of image does that send for girls ages 3 to 12? That's their key market area. I mean, has your teen daughter, who's the size of a beanpole, said, hey, mom, am I fat? I mean, that's culture influencing their view of what's appropriate. Right? So, look about comics or or graphic novels. I mean, I I love a good comic book because they can get a bit more into the story, and I'm not really talking about Archie comics. But think about comics. Think about... um, Star Wars is a perfect example. Star Wars comics. You know, I love Star Wars. Anybody like Star Wars? Yes, yes, I like Star Wars. I love the expanded universe, how they're able to put the creativity and expand the world out, and there's people way more creative than me have created this entire world. And I remember one time I was reading Cole a comic book from Star Wars, and then I was looking at one of the panels, and then I realized the lady that was in there had painted on clothing and was showing more skin than actual apparel. It's a product made by men, marketed to men, objectifying women. Again, who are comics really marketed to? Young boys. Look at the images that culture are starting to ingrain in our children. Think about movies, the prevalence of nudity in movies, predominantly women. Think about pornography. That's almost exclusively women. Just a complete objectification of who God created. I was watching a video clip the other day, and it was of a high school talent show, and the kid that was on the stage played a theme from a particular adult website. I I didn't know what it was, I only read the caption. This is at a high school talent show, he was playing this, and the entire audience got up and cheered that he had done this, boys and girls. Pornography, the objectification of women, marketed and directed to our children. All of this is about the sexualization of women. What our culture has done, it has created an unobtainable standard for women. Right, culture is always changing, so women will always fall short in culture's eyes. And it teaches young men that their view of young women, that their view of young women, the people in their lives, never measures up because they're always stuck measuring women and evaluating them against culture. Our focus must always be on the unchangeable word of God. We must always be focused on what God says. But just as the Judaizers in Paul's time were trying to convince the Galatians they still needed to maintain the law, our culture now is drawing us in and is separating us from God just the way that the church of Galatia has. We seek to identify ourselves no longer with Christ, but with the world around us. You know, when I I was a kid, you know, I wanted to be a winner. I mean, who wanted, to be a, who wanted to grow up and say, man, I want to do something really awesome when I get older, right? Nobody really sets out and says, man, I want to be a loser, right? We all set out wanting to be winners because we want to identify with some sort of success. And I know for me, I, I had a pretty successful career prior to coming in ministry, but I think back of all the people that I stepped on to get there. To, to identify myself with being a winner, to identify myself with success, what did I do? I stepped on people and lost relationships. But what if it's a woman? You know, what if in the workplace you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, or you have to do certain things to get ahead? We can identify with these things because this is like a job. These are all things that we're all sort of involved in. But when we compromise our morals to suit culture, it has lasting and detrimental effects. We place our identity and societal behaviors and norms, and so much pressure is put on women to conform to the world around them, to what is popular and what is important. And the unfortunate thing is it's not so much pressure from the outside with culture saying you must, it ends up being from the inside with young women saying I need to, I need to change, I need to do this, I need to compromise. This age of female empowerment and feminism has created generations of women who feel they are not quite good enough and can't measure up because they place their identity in culture rather than in God. They place their identity in something that is always changing and something for which time has absolutely no forgiveness. Right? We, all, we, we all get older, the culture always seems to stay relative to a different age. For women, so much value was put on their appearance, their careers, their spouses, their children, at times this is self-destructive. And we need to take a serious look at how destructive culture is to women. I did a search of the 50 most popular women out there today. 48 of them are celebrities. Two politicians, we can imagine who they are, 48 are celebrities. So it's no wonder the stats for cosmetic surgery, 92% of elective cosmetic surgeries are done on women. You know what the most five most common plastic surgeries are? Breast enhancements, rhinoplasty, nose jobs, liposuction, eyelid tucking, and facelifts. Right. The first three are to change your body to conform to some cultural standard, breast enhancements, nose jobs, I'm sorry, rhinoplasty proper term, ri- rhinopla- but you know what I mean, rhinoplasty and liposuction, and the other two, eye tucks and facelifts, are to try to keep you there. Right? They're all to try to reduce Your age, the top three reasons given for elective plastic surgery, right? Celebrity influence, I'm gonna look like what culture says, the desire to be more beautiful, to place our standard on culture and self-confidence. So none of those, it's all, these are just elective. It's just to conform to what culture says is normal. And conforming seems so easy. A little change here, a little change there, maybe something bigger over there, something a little bit bigger over there, but Satan makes it seem like it's so easy to do. He presents all of it as no big deal. You'd be liked a little bit better if you changed this or compromised over here. You might be more accepted if you compromised or changed over there. He makes it seem so easy and that it's no problem. And he gets us to forget that we're made in God's image. Satan's goal. Well, I'm going to get there in a second. Let's turn all the way to, let's turn back to the garden. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. All right, here is the account of the fall. All right, this is Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. from evil. So as I'm reading this, I'm seeing, it gets me thinking, what is Satan trying to do? What is he really convincing Eve to do? Yes, we can see that he's trying to convince her to go against God and violate God. But if we look at verse 5, he says, for God knows that if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Satan is trying to convince Eve to change herself to something other than what God had designed her to be. Right? That is what he does to us. And how does he do it here? With a piece of fruit. Right? Eve had everything. She lived in the garden. She could walk with God. But Satan said, you can be like him up there. You just have to do this one little thing. So let's make that analogous for culture today, right, to young woman. What is drawing you into culture? What is appealing you? And Satan makes, it seems, so simple to move us away from how God created us. The sexual revolution did not result in empowerment. It created 50 years of objectification masquerading as freedom, right? It took our identity in Christ and placed it in ourselves and in culture, and now it says that that's an okay thing to do. Culture does not determine your value or your identity. Only God does. Culture, um, it just shifted your worth away from God's standard to a standard that can never be met. What is occurring now is just another form of what was occurring in Jesus' ministry. God sent a son to be the savior of the world, and we, obviously, we know that, but in his ministry, Jesus sought to elevate women from their status among men to their status to how God created them. Now, as you look at women in Jewish culture at the time, at Jesus' time, women were treated as second-class citizens and even property. Men could divorce their wives for the most simplest of reasons. They burnt the toast. You, you know, your hair doesn't look very nice today. Whatever it is, they could, they, could dis- they could dismiss them for the most minor disagreements and then leave women to fend for themselves. There are situations in scripture where women are demoralized and depersonalized and this this is not because it was God's plan, but it was because it was under man's control. And as we've seen of our study this fall, God sought out women to minister to the world. God holds women in such high regard, Jesus exemplifies them in his ministry. Now we know Jesus was a radical. He dined with sinners and dined with tax collectors. But Jesus exemplified the elevation of women, and I think this is really where he stood apart. And he did this in three ways. One, he recognized their value. Two, he engaged women in ministry. And three, he made them part of God's redemptive plan. Jesus recognized the value of women by acknowledging their equality with man before God. In Matthew 19.4, when questioned by the Pharisees about divorce, Jesus goes back and quotes Genesis 1.27, saying, he, God, created them, male and female, men and women, created in his image. In his lesson on divorce, he elevates women to equality with men. Jesus routinely spoke with women in public. You might remember in our earlier study of Mary that it was unheard of for a rabbi to speak with a woman, but, but by Jesus doing it openly, he elevated their value. He elevated their value and, and, and placed their equality with men. Jesus did not view them as culture did, or as the Pharisees did, but rather he viewed them as God did. All right, so let's, let's move forward. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Now we're bouncing around here a bit. And I wish I had a time to, to teach on every one of these interactions here. But I think this one really stands out. So if we move forward to Luke chapter 13, in verse 10, this is the account of Jesus healing a a woman on the Sabbath. It says here in Luke 13, starting in verse 10, it says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, "There are six, day, six days in which to work. And sorry, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day." Then the Lord said to him, "You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and, le- and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejected at all the glorious th- rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done to him. Now we take this passage many times to talk about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Um, But how does Jesus, if we look in verse 16, how does Jesus refer to the woman? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham? He places her on equal footing with the men that were there who considered themselves as sons of Abraham. In Matthew 5.28, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives his lesson about adultery, he talks about if men or if anyone in marriage has thoughts not of their wives. So men, if you have thoughts not of your wives... Um, This is considered adultery. This is 100% correct, obviously. But another way of understanding this passage is he's telling men not to view women as objects of desire. Doing so diminishes them from where God has placed them, and that is equality and having equal value to men. And this almost seems like the antithesis of what our culture teaches. It encourages women to put value in what they look like and not in who they are, and by doing so, women end up being the sum of their parts and they placed their value in what they can do for themselves and what they can do for men. Jesus tells us the exact opposite that the value of a woman is in her likeness to God, not in her appeal. Women are repeatedly a part of Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 3, we 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 see how Le- J- how Jesus had brought Mary and Josanna, Johanna and Susanna and made them vital parts of his ministry. They weren't just listeners, they were followers and they were supporters. And Father down in Luke chapter 8 verses 19 to 21, in 21 he talks about men and women hearing his word and putting them into practice. Jesus dignified women in his ministry. He used them as subjects of parables and teaching. In Matthew 24, the women working in the field, coming in from his return. In Luke 18, he talks about the power of a widow in persistent prayer. Jesus could have used any example from the Old Testament of an Old Testament saint in fervent prayer. But he chose the illustration of a woman. He talks about the widow's offering in Mark 12. In Matthew 12, he talks about the queen of the south will bear witness on the day of judgment. A female witness? Really? In Jesus' time? unheard of. In Luke's gospel, there are 27 parables with women as the subject, and they were taught to men and women. These weren't parables for women, these were parables for men and women. What a way for Jesus to elevate women. He was concerned that women learn from him Right? We look at Scripture with their contemporary eyes, and we hear that there is a lesson going on, we tend to think, well, everybody was there, men and women. But that wasn't the culture at the time. Only men could learn from rabbis, or only, and rabbis could only teach men. But we know time and time again that Jesus taught women. Just think of the account of Mary at his feet, or the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus is ministering to the crowd. It says that there was 5,000 men, but who was also there? Women and children. Jesus was so concerned that women were taught and elevated to the level of men. Jesus sought out women. There are so many awesome parts to Jesus' ministry to women, but for me, there are two parts that really stand out. One is the woman at the well, and the other are the women at the tomb. The woman at the well is probably one of my most favorite accounts in Jesus' ministry. And we're probably familiar with the account and what was going on but to give us a bit of background, the woman at the well was from an area called Samaria. And Samaritans and Jews really didn't get along. Now, Samaritans, were interbred, Samaritans were Jews that were interbred with non-Jews during the exile. So Jews considered them as being unpure and unworthy of God. And if Jews were to get to the Sea of Galilee, they would go around Samaria. But Jesus just makes a beeline right to it. He goes to Samaria and sits by a well and waits for a woman that he knows is going to come. He sought this woman out. And as he's speaking to her, he's speaking to a woman that no one in culture would speak to. One, she was a Samaritan. Two, she was a woman. And three, she was divorced five times. Jesus sought this woman out. This was a woman that was held captive by her culture At the time, as I said, a woman could not initiate a divorce, and as I've said already, a a guy could just say, listen, hey, I'm not happy with the way you look today, I'm gonna trade you in for another model. No, seriously though, they could abandon them for any reason. So this is a woman that was repeatedly rejected and abandoned by men, left there, and I think she was looked down on by society because we know at the time that she was coming out in the heat of day to get water, which was not the normal time that a woman would go out to gather water. I mean, I could just be going on. I could just preach a whole sermon on this, but on this particular thing here, this is a woman that was rejected by society, and Jesus sought her out and talked to her, and ministered to her. And the amazing thing is, as he was sharing with her, he wasn't just talking to her. If you look at what he was saying, he was discussing theology with her. He was discussing the coming Messiah. What an what just an incredible way to elevate women. And when the disciples come back, they're thinking, why are you talking to a woman? And I imagine, this is how I picture this interaction going, Jesus knew what they were going to say, and he just gave them the side eye. Like, don't you say a word. Right? Did your dad ever give you the side eye? you get ready to give some lip? You know, that's what I picture, them getting ready to say something, and Jesus giving them the side eye. But what is most amazing about this, this interaction with the woman at the well do you realize the first person that Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah was to a woman? What an incredible way to elevate woman. And if that doesn't demonstrate the value that Jesus places on woman, the importance that he places on woman, think about the interaction at the tomb, right? Where were the disciples, where were the men? They were in hiding, right? Here come the women. They come out. They're coming to look for Jesus. In all four gospels, Jesus interacts with women in all four. And the consistent one that he speaks to is Mary Magdalene. And then Mary Magdalene goes and goes and shares it with the disciples. There are th- the three major aspects of Jesus' ministry are all through women. One, he was came to this earth through a woman. He revealed that he was the Messiah to a woman, and he revealed his risen self to a woman. What an incredible way for Jesus to demonstrate the value of woman. Jesus made it quite clear that his followers were equally men and women, and Jesus sought specifically to elevate women from a misguided, misinformed, and detrimental culture. So what does that mean for us? So for men, We must understand how Jesus viewed women and do that same thing now. Women are not objects and they are not servants. They are to be elevated and cherished as to what they are and that is God's image bearers. God placed us all here for his honor and his glory and every thought about every desire for, and every effort to change woman to something that we want, rather than what God designed, is contrary to God's plan and does nothing to bring honor to the Father. For women, your identity is not in what you do, what you wear, what you look like, or what you've done. Scripture presents rich examples of women chosen by God. We just studied 11 of them, and it was hard to pick just 11. So... We think of Rahab, right, and what she had done. Or here, just our account of the woman at the well. These individuals, these women chose their identity in God rather than what culture thought. You don't need to turn to, for women, you don't need to turn to men or to culture to find value. Your value, your treasure was given to you the moment you were conceived. God knows every hair on your head because you are his daughter and you are made in his image. So to draw this to a close, God loves the world. We know that, John 3, 16. God loves the world. But in Satan's reign here, his purpose is to separate us from God. And he's learned to do it in the most subtle way. He doesn't need to hit us with a sledgehammer like he did with Job. He knows exactly how to worm his way in. He gnaws away and gnaws away and gnaws away. And before we know it, he's comfortably positioned us between us and God, and by placing him there, he wants us to place our value in him and in culture rather than God. By creating our identity through culture, we become captivated and imprisoned to a standard that will always tell women they are not good enough. Your identity only comes from God, and Jesus Christ reinforced this in his ministry. Jesus elevated women to the place where they belonged, and that is daughters of God. In their image, in the Trinity, in their image, he created them. There's nothing in this world more rewarding than realizing that you are made in the image of God. When you doubt it, and it happens to all of us, when you hear that you're not good enough, don't believe it. Scripture is the standard. Culture will always try to transform this to it, right? But the only place that any of us can ever find comfort is the unchanging, unalterable Word of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I pray for those here in the congregation. I pray for all of us, men and women, to understand that culture seems so appealing It seems like something that is fun, it seems entertaining, it seems okay, Father, that a little compromise here and a little compromise there is all just fine. But Father, that is Satan's way of separating us from you. Father, so I pray for us here. I pray that we realize that, Father. I pray that we realize that women in our culture, our, our, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, our daughters, our mothers, our sisters, that all those around us, They are your children, Father. Father, I pray for the young women here that they realize that culture has no hold on them. Father, their identity comes only from you. So Father, I pray that this message ministers to our hearts. Father, I pray that this message transforms our view just a bit, that we are created in your image and we are created to honor and glorify you. Father, we ask this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through His Son, Jesus Christ.